Good morning, church. So, first thing as we get going, uh, let's just get it out of the way. I have a different look. <laughs> really, all it is, I trim my beard a little, and everybody's like, what happened? No, but there comes a place in every man's life where he grasps desperately to his youth, or he moves on from glory to glory to more maturity. And, uh, and so, uh, yeah, it was beginning to not do right things, so, yes, so let's pray this morning uh, before we start, God, I thank you uh, for this day, I thank you, God, for your word, and Lord, as I come to speak, I pray, Father, that anything that is me, Lord, that you would change it on the fly, I pray, Lord, that I would speak your word in truth and in context, and Lord, I give you, Holy Spirit, the right to interject and to change directions uh, anywhere I have gotten in the way. I thank you. I worship you. You are king. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So let's go to work. So we just spent the last uh, six weeks connecting the dots in Genesis, looking at covenant, looking at creation, and redemption through Scripture's first major players. And do you remember who they are? So there's Adam and Eve. There's Abraham. There's Isaac. There's Jacob. I forgot Noah. Uh, But Adam and Eve, Noah, Abraham, and then Isaac and Jacob. Okay, so our first major players. And we saw in Genesis the foreshadowing of God's plan to save humanity And we're continuing this journey by exploring Exodus during the season of Lent. And uh, Exodus is a freedom story. Um, It is the liberation story of God's people throughout the ages. Uh, This story highlights a nation of slaves that God saves and sets free of his own compulsion. They do nothing to earn it, but it's because of the promises that God made to their fathers that compels him to move and to covenant with them anew. But this time in the story, as we enter Exodus, God's going to give them oral and written instructions on remaining free men. And by establishing law and order and a way by which the people of God should cohabitate with each other and in the world... And to live, in order to live and to prosper. Um, We've talked a lot about covenant over the past few weeks. And we're going to continue to talk about it. Because if we do not understand covenant, then we really can't grasp uh, the depths at which the Bible was written. Um, It is covenant language. And Exodus continues the story of God's redemption. Because that has been God's plan ever since the fall of creation. To quote uh, Sandra Richter, the whole point is the people of God in the place of God dwelling in the presence of God. So Exodus opens where Genesis left off with the descendants of Abraham living in Egypt, but now it's hundreds of years later. And the people have grown numerically to the point that the Egyptians see them as a threat. It was into this chaos that Moses is born. And as one of the Hebrew babies, 
Moses was supposed to be drowned in the Nile, but his mother hid him. Uh, Moses was to be the agent of God's salvation. A baby boy almost killed by a tyrannical king or a pagan, a pagan anti-God system and culture. And when I say anti-God, I mean God with a capital G, for Egypt surely had many gods. But the birth of a child, Moses in this situation, seems to be one of God's favorite reoccurring themes and stories throughout the Bible. He seems to answer terrible situations and unfulfilled uh, promises through the birth of a child. It almost seems to be a reoccurring theme within humanity that godless, capital G, and hedonistic cultures seem threatened by children and almost simultaneously invoke a demonic edict to kill and eliminate the children. From Moses and Pharaoh's infanticide to Jesus and Herod's infanticide to abortion to school shootings. Politics aside, the culture of death over our children is epidemic. And I wonder why. Is evil more aware of God's imminent intention than we are? And I want you to hear me clearly. In the story of Moses, we see God use an ordinary man. God still uses ordinary people to fulfill his purposes. Each of us, if we were wakened from our stupor long enough, would see the role we play in the kingdom of God. If God can use an 80-year-old man to redeem a nation from slavery, is it beyond our ability to believe that he could use us if we would yield our hearts to him? So in Exodus chapter 2, it introduces us to Moses and spans the majority of his life, and it tells the story of how he was born to parents from the tribe of Levi. And how his mother hid him at birth in the basket on the Nile River. Now the Nile was a place of death for the Hebrew children. And due to Pharaoh's edict, this river became a place of destruction where babies born to the Hebrews were drowned. But it became the place of life for Moses. And it reminds us of the story of the flood in Genesis It was death and destruction for all mankind, and yet it became the place of God's deliverance for Noah and his family as they rode out the storm in an ark. On the very same floodwaters that destroyed the rest of humanity. So like Noah, Moses was delivered on the very waters meant to take his life in a little bitty ark. And that's cool. But what's even cooler is that Pharaoh's own daughter finds Moses among the reeds of the Nile and has pity on him. And she raises him in the Egyptian courts, the backyard, so to speak, of the very person responsible for this genocide. So think about the irony for a minute. The means of destruction, the Nile River, lands Moses in the lap of the destroyer's entourage. Pharaoh's daughter and the Egyptian courts, and the education system. And that's what's amazing to me about that story. Later in his life, Moses goes on to be uh, 
go out and, and be with his people, the Hebrews. And Scripture tells us that Moses saw an Egyptian beating a Hebrew slave. And Moses flips out. And, and it turns, he turns, to, turns on the Egyptian and he kills him. And in the very next verse, we see Moses interceding. Remember that word. In another conflict, but this time it's between two Hebrews. And Moses asked them, why all the Hebrew on Hebrew violence? And one of the men replies, well, excuse me, Inch, who made you a ruler? Are you going to kill me like you killed the Egyptian? So apparently Moses didn't know that everyone has a camera phone nowadays. And that his outburst was going to get posted on social media. Words out better run. So Moses flees to the land of, of Midian. Game over, right? Well, in the space of these few verses in chapter 2 of Exodus, we see Israel's deliverer going from a baby born of a slave to be killed in the Nile to salvation from Pharaoh's daughter to favored status to fugitive and then to virtual exile in a foreign land. So it's got to be over, right? I mean, who recovers from that kind of bad press? But while in exile, Moses creates a new life. Somebody say, while in exile, God creates a meanwhile. While in exile, God creates a meanwhile. Now that's super cheesy. On purpose. Because it helps us remember some of you may be in a season of exile because God needs to reform some character, eliminate some habits, establish some boundaries, build some relationships, end some relationships. God is using this desert, this desert meanwhile, to his advantage and for your development. So don't worry, just surrender to the plan. So, in the meanwhile of the exile, Moses gets married, and he becomes a shepherd. So, God's going to teach Moses to lead a family and a flock of sheep before he turns him loose with millions of people. And that, my friends, is the grace of God at work. Every indication is that Moses has found a new home and has every intention of settling down. And staying in this foreign land. Then the writer of Exodus returns to the larger story. And goes back to Egypt to remind us of the bigger picture. So meanwhile, back at the ranch, Exodus 2, 23 through 24. After a long time, the king of Egypt died. The Israelites groaned under their slavery and cried out. Out of the slavery, their cry for help rose up to God. God heard their groaning, and God remembered his covenant with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Why does God respond to their cry? The answer is crucial to the understanding of the story in the book of Exodus. The reason God answers their cry is because God is faithful. God responds because God remembers. God doesn't forget his covenant with 
Abraham, with Isaac, and with Jacob. It's not necessarily this particular group of slaves at this time, but it's the promise that he made to their fathers. In saving the Hebrews, God is displaying his faithfulness to earlier promises that he's made. Moses will become the vessel for the Hebrews' redemption, but God alone will be Israel's true redeemer. It's God who keeps his promise. It's God who sees their misery and acts. We serve this same God who keeps his promise. God's promises are eternal no matter how dark the circumstances. We can turn back to his promise and his covenant and say with confidence that God will always provide. He will sustain. He will save. God will redeem. It will seldom look like we think it should. But he's faithful nonetheless. The book of Exodus is about the way of freedom. It's about God's redemption in the darkest of days. It's about how God executed a daring escape in the midst of a hopeless slave existence. And Moses is the one chosen by God to be the catalyst for these events. Moses. An 80-year-old exile who becomes the unlikely prophet of God. Now, back to the story. While Moses is in Midian in the middle of an ordinary day, he sees something extraordinary. Anybody remember? Moses is out with the sheep and he sees a bush on fire, but it's not consumed. So with his curiosity peaked, he goes over to observe. I'm not sure if I would have been peaked or ran. I... As Moses is observing this extraordinary, supernatural phenomenon, that's when he hears it, the voice of God. God calls him from within the phenomenon, the burning bush. Any guess to what God's first instruction is to Moses? Yes, take off your sandals. But what is God really instructing Moses in by asking him to take off your sandals? This is holy ground, Moses. Take off your sandals. What's the first test? What's God asking Moses to do? Walk in humility. Humility. Knowing your place in the middle of extraordinary timing and events of God. Humility. Once Moses has demonstrated his humility by removing his Birkenstocks, then God begins to share and reveal and unfold his plan to redeem Israel from slavery. It's once Moses understands his place in the middle of this phenomenon that God then reveals further revelation. Humility always precedes more revelation. Humbly knowing who you are and your position and your responsibility in the presence and the service of God leads to further revelation from God. God further reveals his plan to accomplish the promises that were given to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And you would think that Moses, an outcast Hebrew, would be ecstatic at the revelation of knowing that God is about to move 
that all is no longer helpless, that wrongs are about to be righted, and that oppressors are about to be stopped. But Moses doesn't respond that way. Basically, Moses says, choose somebody else. Moses begins to question God's wisdom and comes up with no less than five excuses to deny God's calling. Beginning in Exodus 3, 11, and culminating in Exodus 4.13, Moses gives five excuses why God's wrong. Been there? Moses begins by saying, and because of time, I won't go through all of his excuses, but he begins by saying, who am I? Send someone else. In our vernacular, he's saying, I'm not qualified to do this. And God replies, I'll be with you. What do we learn about God's character from that statement? The deficiencies of the one receiving the call do not determine God's action. The deficiencies of the one receiving the call do not determine God's action. God will see to it that who he has chosen is adequately prepared. It's the same with us. We're called by God. But the church, you and I, too often respond the same way Moses responds. I'm not qualified. Choose somebody else. Everyone in this room today has been chosen and tasked with the mission. How will you respond? Hear this. God calls each of us. He initiates the contact. And he chooses ordinary people like you and me. And here's the beauty of God's call. God is patient. God did not rebuke Moses when he questioned him. God answered each of his questions patiently until about the fifth challenge. And that was only because Moses refused to trust God's answer. And here's where the story becomes personal. God has always used ordinary people. Like you and me. And that's why the Bible is written in story and narrative form. It's not just a how-to book of instructions and pithy wisdom. It's a collection of stories where ordinary men and ordinary women interact with God and his plan. In fact, we read later on in Exodus these words, And you will be my kingdom of priests, my holy nation. Exodus 19.6 Each of us has been called to make disciples of Jesus Christ for the transformation of the world. Of course, God uses us differently. Of course he does. That's what makes it so beautiful. But we all have the same calling. Go make disciples. What does that mean, go make disciples? Everyone's supposed to be a Sunday school teacher? Go make disciples. Demonstrate how to follow God. Some of us will use our words. Some of us will do it in the marketplace by our actions. There will be people that watch us as we lead in the marketplace. And they'll say, he doesn't act like past supervisors that I've had. What's different about him? And we will be discipling. We will be demonstrating 
how to follow God. And what is attributed to St. Francis. And we'll use words when necessary. But we'll do it by our actions as well. We will live in a way that demonstrates how to follow God. Too many of us have forgotten and wrongly assumed that we're called to salvation, but we forget that we're also called to vocation. We allow worldly pressure and lack of spiritual discipline to seep in and convince us that kingdom work is for the preacher or the staff or the professional clergy. Not true. Jesus could have gone to the schools of Shammai or Hillel and grabbed the biggest and the greatest and the most eloquent. But he went out on a beach and called some fishermen and called some tax collectors. He dedicated three years of his life to them and then he left it in their hands. So meanwhile, back in Egypt, and I mean for us, when we argue with God and go, I'm, I'm, I don't have what it takes to do this, God, not me, someone else, choose somebody else. Then meanwhile, back in Egypt, the world continues to labor under slavery, the slavery of sin and death and addiction and brokenness and chaos. Why? Is it because we're too afraid and too embarrassed or too undisciplined or too double-minded not to focus on the calling that each of us has in the place that God has planted us? All of us are called to help people toward the light, toward the way of freedom. But we're not alone in this task. We're not alone. We have the great I Am with us, the God of our father, Abraham Isaac and Jacob. We have no less than the power of the creator of the universe within us. We have the spirit of Christ in us to enable us. God says in Exodus 3.11, I will be with you. And we're reminded of the words of Jesus in Matthew 28.20 when he says, I'm with you always, even to the end of the age. So it matters not if you feel qualified. Christ has said, I'm with you. My qualifications don't matter. Christ is with me. You have been called. How will you live out that calling? So next steps. One possible next step is to acknowledge the universal call of all Christians. And that is to make disciples. To demonstrate how to follow Jesus. You may say, I'm stumbling through it forward. Then you're the perfect candidate. If I have to follow someone that's perfect, the bar's up here. I'm like, I, I can't do that. When I follow someone that knows how fallen they are and yet stumbling forward consistently, that's someone I want to follow. Secondly, another next step, stop debating God concerning your qualification. He has or will equip you for the mission that he has placed in your heart. So relax. <laughs> Christ is with you always, even to the end of the age. Let's pray.